All right. We're here on the first real cast. Real cast number one. Yeah, baby. In progress. We just discovered this really cool, cool new system called Zencaster and uh, allowing us to just dive right in and get started. So I am uh, Tony Mandarano, and uh, you have on the other end. And I'm Elliot McNary. Very good, very good. Elliot and I have both known each other for a very long time. Good friends, also love building shit together, and uh, that's kind of what we're doing right now within within the <clears throat> the blockchain crypto communities. We're pretty stoked about that. Um, what are your thoughts, El, on on the current state of blockchain? You know you who who isn't building a blockchain app right now? <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's I think that's the the better question to ask here. Uh, what was the what was the 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 coin you saw today? Oh, skin coin. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. It's hard because you know I don't really want to like uh I guess, you know, don't really want to put down other people for their ambitions, but what I definitely see is that I see blockchain as being more of a uh, economic and financial technology, uh, you know, application, and not so much, you know, an opportunity to just reapply all Web 2.0 into blockchain. And I think I think that I think that's what a lot of uh, developers are doing. I mean, what so SkinCoin, I guess, is like. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love playing Counter Strike, and you know. <laughs> 1.6 and source and all of that. And that I remember big, the was a big aspect of our childhood. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I totally remember like uploading skins and how cool that was, but I just don't understand why you need a, a full decentralized, uh, tokenized world to be able to exchange those skins. Do you? No, yeah. it doesn't. I mean, it's, it doesn't really make that much sense to me as to why you'd want to use something like ethereum like why does this like why does that need to be on the blockchain why not just run a centralized server with basically tokens and data that you make and store in a database right what's this a lot faster what's the other one you're talking about it's like basically just like a linkedin on oh yeah um hold on let me let me check it out yeah i mean it was basically like yeah, it's stuff like that where there's really no utility for these tokens. And it's like people are just making tokens so that they can do an ICO and raise money. And then they kind of like work their app so that the app uses the tokens. When in right. reality, it would be, it makes much more sense if they don't actually use the tokens. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah, it just seems like the space is very, very saturated with. A bunch of scam coins and you you definitely have people doing like real things and and cool things um that should be done on the blockchain but then for every one of those it seems like you have 10 others who are just trying to make a quick buck yeah. i think everybody feels like that yeah oh i mean i see that too and i think the like from what i can see is that even within the current status, I mean, it's like even in the dot-com days, right? Like 
the internet happens. So people start building businesses on it or wanting to build businesses on the internet. And people see the whole next 20 years in like, you know, 10 or in 20 weeks, you know, and they get really excited. There's irrational exuberance. People's expectations are huge, but it's all based on this future potential. And eventually it doesn't come true that fast. So, you know, you have the bubble pop. But eventually over time, big businesses do get built and you see like the Facebooks, Amazons, et cetera, you know, come out of that thought process and eventually it does materialize, but it takes longer, I think, than people initially want to think. Same thing happened even with railroads, you know, way back when. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of like what Ethereum can do at its current stage. I mean, if like it's we're so early in its development that people people see like what we anticipate to happen in like 3 to 6 years down the line but they're building things as if that's happening right. now and yes. they're they're like the ideas going through their head or what they can do in like a decade's time but we're not even close to there yet and it's like i mean the ambition is awesome but there's too much money being thrown around and like other, and it's other people's money. It's people who probably maybe can't afford to lose that money or just throwing millions of dollars at these things that don't really make any sense with the current state of blockchain. Right. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but like my, from, you know, in my opinion, it seems like, the biggest challenges are a like cost of transactions when you get into like micro transactions and high volume as well as the, the timing. So it seems like it makes a lot more sense to use blockchain currently Ethereum, I would say, you know, building on top of Ethereum for things that are much more like basically higher value. So like very high value, high sensitivity transactions as well as, transactions where you don't need to, you know, update the database in a millisecond. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, I think the Ethereum blockchain can run like it can process like 20 transactions a second. I mean, just last week there was the status ICO, which basically, I mean, it essentially DDoS the network and everything was down for, like over like over seven days or something because there were so many pending transactions lined up that people who actually wanted to do wanted to send real transactions either had to pay a shitload of gas or they just had to wait until the network calmed down and the same thing goes for like micro transactions in that the i mean the transaction price is still prohibitive of doing micro transactions there's i mean payment channels are in the works with something like the Raiden network. And I actually saw a, uh, I saw a um, smart contract that essentially um, integrated payment channels already, which was really cool. Um, but I don't think I, I read something about some flaws in it. I didn't, I didn't take a good look at it, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the current state that I feel like we're in. Right. Yeah, because it seems like, you know, for example, um, you know, with InsureX, with their, you know, vision, like that would be totally viable because you don't need to like update an insurance policy within, you know, a, a second in order for it to be viable. You know, it's a potentially a, you know, 
um, an instrument or an asset that's worth, you know, thousands of dollars at a minimum. Um, and you know, like if you call your insurance, if you call your insurance insurance agent and they need to, you know, underwrite a policy that could take, you know, at a minimum that could take like a day. So it's not, uh, it's not something where, you know, that seems like something where it actually, they could get started now and will only further benefit as more progress is made. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, bigger, yeah. Bigger chunks of money being sent that don't need to be sent as often. I mean, like there was 10 X, the 10 X ICO happened, uh, yesterday, which is, I mean, basically like a debit card for, um, debit card for cryptocurrencies, which I mean, depending on how they're doing it doesn't, I mean, doesn't make much sense, especially from a tax standpoint. I mean, how do you handle, how do you handle taxes if you are selling off little bits of Ethereum every time you use your debit card? Like you go to McDonald's or go to Starbucks and you pay $3 worth of Ethereum. Like, I mean, capital gains on that actually when tax time comes seems prohibitive in my opinion, but very interesting. Yeah, that is that's very interesting thought. Yeah, I think a lot of I think a lot of the community hasn't necessarily uh, thought too hard about the taxes, Um, especially, you know, as well, if you bought Ethereum, you know, um, you know, very early and then you started trading it. I mean, technically on that first trade, you exit your position, you now owe taxes. So I think that. I think that there are a lot of, uh, yeah, I think that seems to be definitely quite the gray area. Yeah. The IRS is going to have a heyday, honestly, probably next year, maybe even this year too. I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see like how that pans out. I talked to, I, or I heard about people doing like, or claiming what's the real estate exchange 1081. Oh, 1031. 1031. Yeah. And basically people were, trying to figure out how to exchange like ether for bitcoin to try to avoid taxes i don't know i don't i'm not a tax guy so i don't i don't really understand but i actually just saw something i'm looking at something pretty crazy there's a that kind of goes into the current state of like this whole blockchain stuff because during um during the status ico there was a very very convincing pre-sale website that was Instead of token sale dot status, it was token sale token sale dash status, mm-hmm. um, and it was a the domain the website looked the exact same, and the but the contract address was fake. And I went and checked the contract address, and probably like at least a day before the actual status ICO, people had sent over like seventy five grand to this address, and so you have like I mean a bunch of scammers and a bunch of just straight up shitty people are really trying to take advantage of all of this irrational exuberance. And now I see there's this, um, so for everybody listening, myetherwallet.com is like the go-to browser wallet client for participating in ICOs. And it's like the trusted source. And I, I highly recommend you use it if you're participating in anything. Um, but the Cointelegraph just, or not just, but recently, posted a, an article on something called Ethereum Chamber, which is essentially the same thing as my Ether Wallet. It's client-side 
Ethereum wallet and some guys dug into the code and realized that they were sending HTTP requests of private keys. So for any newbies out there, when you create a wallet, you get a private key and that is essentially, I mean, that's your, that is your wallet. If you lose your private key and, or if somebody gets a hold of your private key, they can access your wallet and completely wipe you out. So these guys are literally sending HTTP requests to what I assume is their backend and storing private keys, which they can just access later and completely wipe you out. So if you're thinking about using Ethereum chamber, don't do it. And really, I mean, like you guys got to be, people need to be smart. I mean, it's easy to, I mean, it's easy to get caught up in the hype and worry about FOMO and send for ether to a scam address. Because the website looks totally right, or somebody DM'd you on Slack saying, like, with a convincing screen name saying, send it to this address, there's a pre sale open. Just don't do it. Just, I mean, it's yeah, not worth risking. Like, yeah, you just gotta be, you just gotta be sure and you gotta be prudent about it. Yeah. So, where do you see the, so to go back to, you know, obviously, I think, um, well, maybe it isn't obvious, but I think for people that are more actively involved or have more data points, you know, have been around in in, um, in cryptos and basically blockchain, you know, for you know several months, you you kind of start to see more data points. You start to see okay, a little bit frothy, you know, a lot of a uh, lot of people, you know, using blockchain that probably don't need to be. But where do you see like the bright spots? Obviously, we talked about like you know things that involve you know assets that. Uh, maybe of larger value don't need to process to the blockchain instantaneously and where it's more about the, the, the quality level of like securing you know those assets as opposed to like you know storing facebook likes to the blockchain right so where do you see yeah. the, you know the the great use cases in today's um use of of ethereum specifically um i I mean, store of value, really. I mean, you have, but it's interesting because that can be implemented in many different ways. I mean, you have something like Mysterium, which is a decentralized VPN, which uses their missed tokens on the network to incentivize and also pay for bandwidth, which is interesting because you can think of that as essentially a store of value. So that, to me, that you can make an argument that that works on the blockchain in its current state. But really, I think that it's more of like a representation of real assets and assets with just a like strict monetary value. So going back to insurance policies, I mean, an insurance policy really has a like fixed value. Like if you have a whatever million dollar directors and officers policy like that has a number attached to it it's a million dollars it's worth a million dollars um and i think that having the assets that are actually grounded and tied to like a you know traditional or i would say like the current status quo like fiat based economy exactly yeah right yeah i i totally agree what do you think about because the other thing too that in my opinion is a little bit frustrating um is that well i don't know if it's how frustrating it is it's more so 
it's exciting and I really do think it will be the future like for, for, for fundraising, right? So if like Kickstarter was, you know, the way it made sense to basically crowdfund like, like products, it really seems like you know, the idea of crowdfunding um, uh, equity or, you know, financing or even like more complex pre-sales and basically tokenization from the standpoint of fundraising is very exciting. And I do like how Bancor like really hits on that too, that you don't necessarily need to have like a technical team in order to raise money. But that's, you know, this is a long winded way of saying what I think is happening now is that people are using Ethereum and smart contracts in order to raise money for like purely technical things. Like, so they're trying to make like a token and then use that token to do something but I also feel like there's just going to be an opportunity to just use smart contracts to just purely raise money. But it could be for like a, you know, a, a furniture company, uh, yeah. you know, whatever. Like, and that would be totally fine. Yeah, as long I mean, as because the problem is, is like people are trying to people are trying to find ways around the Howey test. And for for those of you listening who don't know what the Howey test is, it's basically how you can determine if you're selling an, a security or not. So, yeah, there are three aspects to the Howey test. I'm, I'm, I can't remember them off the top of my head. But basically, like, people are just trying to figure out ways to get around the Howey test right now. And so what they're doing is, like, building their apps, like, around a token so that the token can be used on the platform so it doesn't actually represent equity in the company. But at, right. by doing that, I think that they're really doing their platform a disservice because it doesn't really need it doesn't need to use that token, and it would be much better if it didn't use a token like that. Right. So I think like, that, the way that I think about that too is that you know basically like the the whole concept of a token crowd sale really makes sense if what you're doing is building essentially like a marketplace. Well, primarily a marketplace. Uh, you know, or something that has like an extremely high network effect where you're transacting dollars, uh, typically like, like a really good example, in my opinion is like Uber, like if, like Uber, if Uber didn't exist, then today I feel like Uber could have been started purely on the blockchain and you could have bought like Uber tokens. And those are the tokens you use to give rides and they're a set amount. And as more people start using Uber, there's more essentially fiat like running essentially coming into a set amount of Uber tokens, those Uber tokens go up in value just simply based on a supply demand component. Yeah. It's like a, I mean, it's like a gift card. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be, it's basically like if you could buy Amazon gift cards, but there's only a finite amount of those Amazon gift cards. Yeah. Right. Which I, I mean, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a total, I think that's a valid use case for, something like uber where it's like purely transactional yeah yeah exactly or actually you know and i was uh i was gonna talk with you about this last night um but i was i was uh i actually posted about this very briefly in my medium post but i really do think that there's an opportunity also for like an amazon of you know blockchain for sure um, and for anyone super interested in that, you know, I'm also an investor advisor. I'm also an entrepreneur. You know, if you'd like, you can reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk, you know, about it. I'm sure Elliot would, would feel the same way. Um, you know, we're very busy working on, you know, our, our own rollout, but that'd be something that's, uh, I really do think, do you understand how that would work, Al? 
Mm-mm. Now, can you can you go over that? So a like, yeah. So like, for example, is like if so the challenges. I think it's a little bit more challenging to get like uh, to get the ball started, but it almost it's more similar to like an eBay, I think, and how it would have to start. So people began essentially uploading uh, and selling product, and they sell that for the localized currency, you know, like eBay tokens or whatever. And so it's essentially like, uh, you know, that it's like a localized currency. And what's interesting too is, um, you know, with my company's example box, we actually, at one point in time, this was uh, prior to Ethereum really rolling out, we created this uh, site called Zample Trader. And basically what you could do is you could, we, we made these tokens and people could essentially trade, uh, they could essentially trade um, products for these tokens and the tokens had no monetary value at all, but the community was, was essentially using them as a medium of exchange and it worked. And a lot of people did transactions. We ended up, we ended up not supporting it in an ongoing basis because there was just no way for us to monetize it. And frankly, like our core business was much larger, but it was a really cool community project and it worked. And people basically, uh, would would essentially say like, hey, I'm willing to trade this product for nine tokens, and so you send the nine tokens, and and then there you go, and you would get you can earn tokens by doing things that add value to essentially the marketplace by like listing products, completing sales, receiving you know very good feedback. So I kind of have that all mapped out. Uh, like I said, I just believe in focus and not trying to you know do everything at once. Yeah, I remember. I remember Zample Trader. That was that was an awesome idea, and it's kind of like it's kind of like foreshadowing what is like happening right now with like the tokenization of just like everything. I mean, you buy because essentially because how it worked was you. Okay, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but you would go on and you would purchase. Would you purchase the tokens or would you? No, like you earn, earn them. You just earn them. Yeah, yeah exactly. How did, you, how did you? What was like the? What were, what were the incentives? By po- they just basically got minted out of thin air by posting products and people. So basically, you could like post a product, and then you would earn you would earn some tokens by posting products. And the reason why you would earn them by doing that is because that's value to the marketplace because you're basically increasing the supply, and then. And then people would essentially post like 10 items, which allowed them to buy like one item. And then they buy, they complete a successful transaction and get some more tokens. And so, yeah, like I'll be honest, you know, we didn't have it all figured out because it wasn't a a core focus. But I think if you were to really dive in and say like, okay, we're going to build like an Amazon competitor or like I would say probably eBay because I think it's more challenging. Amazon's much more centralized than an eBay. Um, but basically if you do it the eBay style of e-commerce and you essentially, you know, I think like with tokens, this is the way I see it. Like tokens allow you to essentially reward your stakeholders and to incentivize your stakeholders in the same way that a company incentivizes its internal stakeholders with equity. And I think that that's, that specifically is the innovation of tokenization. And you couldn't do that before because there was a, there was essentially no, you know, regardless of the decentralized nature and all of this stuff, there was essentially no um, like conforming protocol. So, so there would, so there'd be really, di- so it's really difficult to establish a level of trust 
Because if one site says like, oh yeah, this is the way we're doing it. We're minting these tokens or whatever, but it doesn't follow a specific, a specific protocol like blockchain. And we all know how that works. And we know that there's this distributed like ledger and you know that all these participants are incentivized to keep it updated. That gives it trust. So then any, t- any, anyone that issues a blockchain token on Ethereum, we understand like, oh, okay, well, A, they're not just going to dupe us and make a bunch of tokens that they said they weren't going to make, you know, and, and I think that's like the big driver of it. So basically essentially incentivizing stakeholders. That yeah. Are- and and I, I, th- I feel like if you're going to be, if you're going to be going that route, you, it needs to be done. I mean, well, yeah, if, if you go that route, it has to be done legally, at least in the U S the thing is, is I don't really know. I don't really that's the hard like like out other countries laws and like how their securities work but i know in the u.s like as far as i know that doesn't work right but but see here's the thing and this is the this is the place where i have a lot of optimism around tokenization is is like i was saying is currently the way it works is that you know by and large you have like equity in a company and that equity is a security. It's a claim on future profits. It has a direct, you know, you benefit from the financial performance of the company. This mm-hmm. new thing is, are these tokens and they actually exist outside of the company and they should, in my opinion. And what they are is essentially the currency of the marketplace. And really it is for marketplaces. Um, and because marketplaces are where essentially buyers and sellers come together and they use currency. And I think every other use case frankly, that isn't a marketplace and trying to do blockchain is fighting a huge uphill battle. But in any case, so this new version of basically being able to create localized currencies that are specific to marketplaces allows for there to be medium of exchange and also allows for the stakeholders that conduct that business by bringing in essentially new money or new people joining the platform essentially creates appreciation because there's more demand than there is supply of those underlying tokens. But I don't necessarily think that that's, I don't see that as a security. In fact, I see it as a product of, and once again, I'm not attorney, you know, blah, blah, it's not legal advice, but this is how I'm thinking about it and how we're pursuing it is that, is that the token is actually a product and that, and the company essentially creates a product and it does so by, uh, by creating a smart contract and it creates, you know, a million products, i.e. tokens, and it sells 500,000 of those tokens. And that's the medium of exchange. And I don't think that because it goes up in value makes it a security. Otherwise, like Nike, you know, wouldn't be able to make limited run shoes because they sell them for 150 bucks and they hit the secondary markets and go for 700. Yeah. Like they go up in value demand then there is supply it's a in my opinion it's a complete product and i think there's a really good case for that yeah i i i agree i mean especially with yeah i mean the nike example kind of says it all <laughs> like if you right. and also like people could easily use those shoes to to trade like i'll give you it's basically barter i'll give you you know one of these uh yeezys for you know, uh, four of those, or I'll give you these, you know, I'll give you my Yeezys are currently worth like 2,700 on eBay. So my rent is a thousand bucks. I'll give you 
you know, a pair of Yeezys to cover, you know, two months of rent. Like, is that illegal? Is that a security? I I don't think so. Yeah. And that shit, (laughs) and that shit happens all the time. If you post like, you post an iPhone or a laptop or the, I'm only saying that because those are what I've posted on like offer up or something like half of the inquiries I get are like literally just hype beast supreme Yeezy trades. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want that. I want fiat. But if I, if I were interested in those things, then maybe I would take that trade or maybe I would right. take the trade because I have the time to go and resell those other assets for fiat currency or for something else that I want. And I mean, I, I totally agree that I don't think that that is a security. I mean, I, well, it's, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. You're not a lawyer, <laughs> but I, I think that they'd have a hard time making a case that that is a security. Right. Oh, by the way, I should say that, uh, cause um, you have cut out a, a little bit throughout this throughout this uh, this real cast one, and right there is a little example. So Elliot is actually in Mexico, Mexico City right now. Yep. And uh, it'll be interesting. You, it'll. Be, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, how do you like? Well, this is a little bit of a you know this is a brief little tangent. We'll make it quick, but it's a nice transition to another topic here, but. Um, yeah, Elliot and I were both down in Mexico City. It's awesome. You're down there for a month. How do you like it? It's awesome. I mean, it's like, it's totally different from how, like, I expected it to be. Well, I didn't really expect it to be how most people expect it to be because at least in the U.S., like, the, I guess you could say, like, propaganda that you hear about Mexico is that it's, like, super dangerous place and, like, like why would you ever want to go there, like, but I mean, now that I'm here, I, I realize that it's like if I didn't have that background of like hearing these things from the media, like I would have no reason to worry. It's like I lived in Williamsburg, uh, Brooklyn for like six or seven months. And like the place that I'm in right now, Roma Norte and Condesa just reminds me so much of that. Like I haven't felt unsafe once. Um, everything is clean. For I mean, clean for a big city. Like people have to realize that this is there's like twenty something million people who live here. So it's like a huge city. But at this, I mean, there's just so much going on, and the people are great. Everybody I've met is super nice. Um, one thing I did notice though, and that you hear a lot about, is I went out of um, yesterday. I went to the the pyramids, the ruins that are about an hour out. And you kind of get into the outskirts of the city and you really see the uneven distribution of wealth. And it's like, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty sad and it, it happens everywhere. And you can, I mean, you can see that in the U S and a lot of big U S cities and I mean, middle America and other places where the distribution of wealth is just not, just doesn't, I mean, it makes sense, but it's, it, it's just so uneven. And it really makes you it really makes you think like how can we like try to fix this and like make i don't know life's not fair but if life's not fair for everybody does that make life fair i don't know right kind of exactly. going on a tangent with that but yeah, yeah it was so, just one thing i noticed yeah and so um for everyone listening so Elliot and i were both down in mexico city uh he's still there for, for a month uh i was there for about a week 
And during that period of time is really when things uh, really got off and into the races with, uh, with real, which is what we're really excited about. And we should, we should dive into that. Um, uh, hold on, making a little footnote here for everybody. We'll be able to look at that later. Okay, great. So let's try let's, let's transition a little bit into, uh, the vision for real. And, you know, we talked about a lot of different use cases of blockchain, smart contracts, Ethereum, et cetera, and, you know, subsequent other, um, you know, technological advancements on blockchain. So, L, what do you see, you know, how would you best describe real? And uh, I'll fill in any gaps that aren't covered. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. I I think you you explain it at least the economic side much better than sure. I can. But I mean, essentially, yeah. it is yeah. So why don't okay? So why don't you go over the economic side and sort of like the overarching view, and then um, I can go over yeah. some of the technical stuff. So so first of all, you know, a, a little bit of background myself. You know, I grew up in a family that uh, you know was very fortunate to uh, you know be able to purchase real estate assets, you know, um, many years ago. And, you know, uh, at that time, comparative, you know, comparatively speaking, you know, buying real estate was a lot more affordable, like the purchasing power, comparatively speaking, was a lot more affordable, you know, middle class could afford to, you know, buy an investment property over a 20, you know, 20, 30 year period and could afford, you know, without question to, to, uh, you know, buy a house. It's, uh, you know, uh, just the way that the system worked, you know, there wasn't as much fiat rushing into these assets and they were much more affordable. And I've seen the outcome of that. So as I've done really well, you know, with my, uh, with my business, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, I started buying real estate assets and, and, uh, began seeing like, Hey, this is really great, but you know, geez, it's, really unfortunate to think that a lot of my peers and fellow millennials really don't have this opportunity to be able to directly invest in their community and directly own real estate assets because the entry costs are just so high. I mean, in Seattle, you know, if you're how, if if you're not, you know, a million dollar house is not, you know, a million dollar house in, in, you know, middle America, right? Like things are just so expensive in these, in these growing cities and it prices a lot of people out. And I've seen that firsthand and same thing with investment properties. So started to think about, you know, ways that things could improve and also just, you know, how it could be connected to my own, you know, interest in our financial system and, and interest rates and value and fiat, et cetera. So the high level and the rundown, is essentially this is that, you know, starting back from essentially the beginning of time where, you know, early, um, you know, societies, you know, people had real estate, they had, uh, you know, land, they had houses, etc. And, you know, real estate is the largest asset class in the world, $217 trillion. And I would hypothesize that our ancestors would have loved to have used their real estate as a medium of exchange, you know, because it was ultimately the best store of value, but that proved to be very difficult. You can't go to the local market and, you know, trade, you know, one ten thousandth of your home for a loaf of bread. So, uh, you know, our ancestors started using precious metals such as gold 
And, uh, you know, that was a lot better, but it became really difficult to, you know, divide up the gold into the right amount for that piece of bread and all these sorts of things. And so the gold eventually went into bank vaults and bank vaults issued uh, paper redemption receipts for the gold, which became essentially the first paper money. And people treated that paper as gold because it was backed by gold and it was actually a redemption receipt. You could take it to the bank and get gold. But eventually, you know, bankers were very smart and they realized that people didn't really come around to pick up their gold. So, you know, if you issued, you know, a million dollars, let's just say, of of paper redemption receipts, you know, only 10% of the people ever came to get their gold. And so the bankers essentially started creating more redemption receipts than there was gold. Uh, and, that, and that gave birth to the fractional reserve system. And so that has run its course up until, you know, the 30s and then eventually the 70s. I don't know if you know, it's been the 30s, actually, the U.S. government basically made it so you had to turn in all of your gold. And if you didn't, it would, you, you could go to jail. So they basically took the gold out of the system. And in the 70s, we officially left the gold standard. And now the banks and governments print, you know, print money uh, left and right uh, with no backing, no gold backing, no nothing. It's just purely paper. And I see this as incredibly unsustainable. It's also why ever since we left the gold standard and ultimately in the 80s as well, you've seen perpetually lower interest rates. And because those lower interest rates are the benchmark for yield in the entire system, that creates essentially much higher asset prices, which has essentially created the entire I would call a stock market bubble as well as housing bubble and property bubble. I mean, it's all based on lower and lower and lower interest rates and they can't go the other direction or it deflates the whole bubble. Um, and so we began looking at this and saying, well, you know, how do you actually, how do you, how, how could you reimagine the world where there's a currency that is actually based on the largest, you know, most enduring asset class in the world, which is real estate. And, it was impossible going to going back to our ancestors, you know, uh, analogy there. It was impossible to trade a fraction of your home for a loaf of bread. But with blockchain, it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible to tokenize a real estate asset into an indefinite amount of of tokens. And that allows you to effectively create a the global reserve currency backed by real estate, which is income producing and has stood the test of time for generations as, as the store of wealth, uh, much better than any other thing. So what real is real is a marketplace, uh, where you can essentially tokenize buy and sell real estate assets and derivatives. Uh, there's the real token, which is the currency of the marketplace. And the real token is used to purchase, um, real estate assets and derivatives that are listed and tokenized onto the marketplace, which means real estate funds, um, you know, potentially your own, your home empire, the empire state building, you know, a, a Starbucks near you that has a 20 year lease and yields 5% per year. And it's a big deal because it just basically does these three things by doing this, you get rid of the high entry cost of real estate, meaning you could invest, you know, a dollar if you wanted to, you also uh, make it so that it's incredibly liquid, which is not the case right now. You know, my one of my investment properties, if I wanted to go sell it today, it would take, you know, at least at least 90 days, which means that it's more risky, which means it has to yield more. 
uh, which means it's not as efficient for the whole global economy. And then the third one is we want to create a, a global currency that actually produces income and yield. And I think it's actually going to, I think we're going to look back on, you know, I think we're going to look back in history and, be, and just basically laugh at how much of a joke it was that for a period of time, people would trade paper that just went down in value, paid you no yield and was backed by nothing. And I think that's absolutely something that is going to end. I think, and I think that it was, you know, really, I think the only reason why it worked is because people didn't know that that was the case. Um, and it was like a big secret of, you know, banks and governments. Uh, and then, you know, with YouTube and the internet, the cat's out of the bag. So, so that's what real is. Real is marketplace for uh, tokenizing, buying and selling real estate assets and derivatives. We're really excited about it, especially from the standpoint of uh, the financial impact of it um, and the economic model more than anything. Is there anything yeah. that I missed? No, no, but I think that like, I mean, every time I just think about like how our current money system works, I'm just like, like in shock. Like it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, the, the dollar has value pretty much because people say it has value, which I mean, which that's the thing though, is that's kind of like everything. Like even when it was backed by the gold standard, um, gold only has value because like people say that it has value. But the thing is, is that it is like a limited resource and there's only so much of it. The, th the thing with real estate that I think is important is it's where we live. It's like, everywhere it's it is like everything like the land like yeah the land right. is it's where we live it's where we eat it's where we sleep like gold well, i mean nowadays it's like lil yachty just wearing it like <laughs> there's no real like use for it you know yeah you brought up a couple of really good points and you know number one is like the value of the dollars because you know people believe it has value. I would say the value of the dollar really comes from the fact that you have to ultimately pay your taxes as a U.S. citizen in dollars, which which forces you to buy dollars to pay taxes. Yeah. And, and that's something that's really important. I think a lot of people under, I think a lot of people that don't understand the economics of fiat like tend to look past that one. But it is true. Like a country, you know, all of the businesses that exist in the U.S., bring value to the US dollar because at the end of the day they have to pay their taxes in US dollars and that does create real demand and real value for the dollar. Um, but the thing you said about real estate is extremely interesting too because like everything in in the world uh, that's you know real like from the food that we eat to even gold all of that is derived in some way shape or form from real estate. You know, real estate and it has to do with for example your mineral rights. So if you own a piece of property and there's it turns out there's a trillion dollars of gold under you, that value gets attributed to that piece of real estate. So real estate is actually where the real value is and it's what basically supplies, you know, all of life. And from the social aspect of this, that I think is very important is you know, I actually just recently bought a home. And once again, I feel very fortunate, you know, given my age to be able to do that. But the thing I really realized is moving into uh, my home where I own it, 
I just noticed myself taking much better care of it. I noticed myself, you know, um, you know, taking care of the neighborhood. And I think that I, I really do believe that, uh, when people are able to own parts of their community and be able to invest, you know, a uh, hundred bucks into their apartment or their condo or, you know, into their local, you know, coffee shop, you know, whatever it is, I think that gives them ownership over their community and they really will, will, uh, benefit from that and you'll see much more vibrant communities. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, when, I mean, people get pissed when whatever the statistic is, it's like 0.0000001% of the population own like over $3 trillion worth of real estate in the world. Like people don't like hearing that people don't like, like the super rich, keep getting richer and like Donald Trump owning X amount of Chicago or whatever. Like if people actually, or I should say when people start owning stakes in their communities and where they live, I totally agree. I think that we're going to see a lot more respect in those communities and just a greater like sense of togetherness, honestly, because it's not, there's less, there's less of a divide between, uh, socioeconomic classes. Right. And then also from an economic standpoint, you know, one of the things that I think is most exciting about this, and we should, we should table this and wrap this up soon and go into detail on a second podcast, provided that everyone would like to hear a second podcast, be happy to do that. Um, and so do leave your comments, you know, wherever this may be posted, leave the comments and we'd love to hear your feedback and uh, we'll set up an agenda for the next podcast based on that. But in any case, one of the most exciting things is that every property that is tokenized, this goes back to the network effect we talked about much earlier in this cast, is that every property that gets tokenized is essentially a perpetual demand for that currency. So if you tokenize that Starbucks with that 20 year lease or whatever, and you think that that building, you know, in downtown Seattle or that land in Seattle is going to be there and be used for 300 years. Well, every time, you know, every month it produces, you know, 10,000 or $20,000 in income, that's $20,000 fiat that has to get converted into real tokens every month. What that does is that creates a perpetual demand for the real token that is based in actual economics and is not based on, you know, hypotheticals. So the moment that you tokenize that property and that property has to pay out its income to those token holders, it's it's going to generate huge amounts of demand. I mean, our our model seems, it seems almost ridiculous, but I could just walk you through it is that, I mean, if you have... I mean, you just think about it this way. If you have $217 trillion globally of real estate, and if cap rates, which is the yield, is 5%, it's about $11 trillion in income every year. If you tokenized you know, all of it, which I'm not saying is going to happen or is necessarily realistic in any short, sort of short period of time, but if you tokenize, let's just say 10% of it, so you know, roughly a trillion, that would essentially mean that there's a trillion dollars every year that needs to be converted into real tokens, which would mean that, I mean, we could even take it just a step further. Like if it's 1%, then that's, you know, then that's, you know, still a uh, hundred billion. If it's 0.1, it's 10 billion. If it's, 
if it's point zero zero one, you know, it's it, it, you're just talking about huge huge numbers of real demand for the real token. So we're really excited about it. Uh, we think that the early stakeholders um, and early users are going to benefit tremendously from this. Um, and we also think that society as a whole, by lowering the bar to real estate investment, real estate ownership, and cross-border investment, it, that this is going to just dramatically change the world. And we also believe, lastly, that this is certain that this will be the future. You know, we believe that it that it will be us, but even if it weren't us, I'm certain that this will be the future because the economics and the technology just completely support it. There's no reason for it not to be the case. So Yeah. I think uh, we at that point, uh, we could probably sign off on this podcast. Maybe a little bit of uh, – we'll do a little bit of our outro music here. Which <laughs> Shout out to Zencaster. Really cool platform for allowing us to do this. Uh, and until yeah, next time. Yeah, it was really good. Had a lot of fun. All right, Al. All right. See you, see you, everybody. See you next yep. time. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening. Comments below, please. We will look at all of them and adjust accordingly. All right. Bye-bye.